Be forewarned. If you are easily upset or don't have the stomach for controversy, do not listen to this program. This hard-hitting program may shock you. It may offend you. Unlike Rush Limbaugh, Jim Greenfield doesn't keep half his brain tied behind his back to keep it fair. Jim doesn't care if it's fair. And now, the controversial host, Jim Greenfield. This is Jim Greenfield, courageously leading the fight against tyranny, oppression, and homos here on the Jim Greenfield Show podcast with my producer, Stuart Rice, who, if I can offend him, I can offend anybody, so hopefully that does. You, uh, you, you actually said my name right, which is a little offensive. Well, you know, I'm thinking, how, how far can I take that, Joe? I think you, you just told me this is the eighth show and, and I, I can't think of any more variations on the Stuart Rice name joke I so I had a name that had more variations okay okay but there are more important things to do for example the quote of the day quote of the day a statesman is a successful politician who is dead Thomas B Reed so the before we get to our real topics I want to I don't know if I should call these loose ends, but in listening back to to some of the previous shows, there were some conversations, we'll call them, that I had with Stuart that, well, there were loose ends. And so I just wanted to come back to a, a couple of these things. For some reason, when I debate with Stuart, I don't use my normal debating tactics, probably because his arguments are so bizarre no, no, I won't say bizarre. Let's say original. Okay, original. I, I, I usually, you know, start asking questions, and I don't do that. I just kind of dismiss what he says out of hand, which is really not, it's not a good way to debate at all. Anyway, this comes to you from the... It is the, if I win. What? It, it is if I win. I, I think it's a great way to debate. We'll see if that ever happens. This comes to you from the Yeah, and Your Point Is department of the Jim Greenfield Show. We had an argument in a previous episode about the war on drugs, where I, Jim Greenfield, took the position that if, that there really isn't a war on drugs, there never has been a war on drugs in America, I won't say never, but certainly not in the last 30 years, there hasn't been any war on drugs, that it's just an empty slogan, and that government policy is pretty much, let them do whatever they want, that it's pretty lax, and that if we really wanted to stop drug abuse, stop the epidemic of drug abuse, government would have to crack down hard, on, not just on the big kingpin dealers, but on low-level dealers and on users. And there'd have to be severe penalties. So that would do it. That would stop it. But Stewart's response was, uh, correct me if, I, if I'm not characterizing your argument fairly here, Stuart. Uh, your argument was that cracking down on drug abuse and drug dealing is comparable to, uh, would be comparable to the government cracking down, say, on financial mismanagement, that financial mismanagement does just as much harm. And so basically you were, you were equating uh, financial mismanagement with drug abuse. Based on the argument we were having, yes. And, and when I listened back to this, I, you know, I was very dismissive of your argument and in retrospect, I shouldn't have been, I should have shown you the courtesy and respect of devastating your argument with logic instead of merely dismissing it as silly. Now, 
so so let me let me just come back briefly. I don't want to spend a lot of time on this. We've got more important topics to cover today, such as how to destroy Islamicism without firing a shot, the brilliant Jim Greenfield strategy to do that. So, Stuart, I just want to understand your argument. You say you want to criminalize financial mismanagement just as I, Jim Greenfield, want to criminalize drug dealing and drug possession? No. I do not want to do that. That That is exactly my argument is I don't want to do that. Your argument was that uh, people who take drugs harm other people. By that same argument, you could say financial mismanagement harms other people, which would be the exact same reason that you would... No, I, I, I understand. Your, I understand. You were argument. being you were being, being ironic. You weren't actually arguing that that financial mismanagement should be criminalized, just as I'm advocating criminalizing of drugs. I think it's just you're doing. You're making exactly the ar- exact opposite argument, which was, well, we would never criminalize financial mismanagement. Right. Therefore, by the same logic, we should never criminalize drug abuse and possession and de- and and yes. dealing. B- by the way, one. One point that I didn't make in this discussion, I, I'm, I'm, I have a problem with the libertarian argument, and I'm sympathetic to the general libertarian philosophy of let everybody alone and we should all have fr- maximum freedom. But the notion that a drug addict has freedom seems to me a very simplistic and superficial way of looking at it. If you are addicted to drugs, you're not free at all. You're a slave. You're enslaved to your own addiction. I would say the same thing about marriage. I know you had some bad experiences, no, Stuart. No, no, and most of the you know we can do we can do a therapy <laughs> session someday. But uh, not changing the topic to marriage now. So I think it would be worth pointing out that there was a time when financial mismanagement was criminalized. It was called debtors' prisons. We used to have debtor's prisons. Here in the United States and throughout Europe, debtor's prisons. You didn't pay your debts, that's financial mismanagement. You go, to, you go to prison. And then at some point they figured out, well, gee, if the guy goes to prison, then he can't pay the debt. So it doesn't really help that much. So, it was, duh. So we, we got rid of that. But the, the notion that uh, government should control people's, try to control people's finances by criminalizing uh, financial management. I'm just not sure. How would that play out? I, no, it wouldn't. I, I, you're, you're missing the argument. I, no, I know, but, but you can see how it, how it, does, it does play out to, for the government to criminalize but dr- it drugs. It, well, it has. No, it doesn't. Well, it has. Yes. Where, got, where it's been done, it actually works. full of people, right? No. Yes. No, you have less people in prison. Counterintuitive, but that's, that's the reality. Okay, you know why? Because no, I, if yes. you no, if I'm very okay, curious why yeah, you have okay. Less if you were to, if you were to, if if Congress were to pass a law, not federal law, throughout the United States tomorrow, mm-hmm. imposing severe penalties for all drug crimes, mm-hmm. possession of marijuana, three years, five years, maybe, mm-hmm. you know, and on up, yep. heroin, ten years, whatever, severe penalties, in in for temporarily. 
you would have a, a huge increase in prison populations. Mm -hmm. And then over a period of years, it would steadily go down back to where it was in the 50s when we had such laws. Nope, but, it would not. Okay, you're, here's you're why completely wrong I can that. prove you wrong. You can't. Okay, I can prove you wrong. <laughs> okay, go ahead. Try. I mean, I, I don't want, you know, I don't, I'm sure you don't want to let the facts interfere with your idea. But, see, we used to have such penalties. Mm -hmm. When I was growing up, People didn't use those drugs. Why? They did. Use no, those you're drugs. wrong. No, no, you you weren't there. You were not there. I will tell you categorically. I knew hundreds, thousands of people when I was young. Not a single one of them smoked marijuana. You have Nobody. no idea whether they did or no. Not. I do have an idea. No, you don't, Stuart. It's you like okay, okay. Let me possibly know what people do behind closed doors. It's yes, you can. To know. No, it's not. You have cameras in their houses. No. No. I'm so okay. confused All by right. this, Jim. Yes, you are. So I'll try to I'll try to help clear up the confusion. Okay, I can tell you categorically that in the 1950s, divorce was very rare. Uh, just bear me out. Hear me out. Listen to this. Is called logic. And slavery was. Uh, totally I'm not talking about slavery. Too. Okay, I'm not talking about slavery. Yes. In the 1950s, divorce was very rare. How do I know that? Because I was alive in the 1950s. And people didn't get divorced. When it happened, it was considered almost scandalous. Mm -hmm. You talked about children from broken homes like it was such a rarity, right? Now, if you go back and look at the statistics, you can actually verify statistically that in the 1950s, you know, today the divorce rate is 50%. 50% of all marriages in America end in divorce. You go back and look in the 1950s, I don't know the exact number, but it was closer to 5% than to 50%, right? Now... I knew, but I don't know this because I studied the statistics. I knew because I was alive. I knew families. I knew people. They didn't get divorced. Okay? All right. Now, similarly, in the 1950s, okay, like, do you think, Stuart, that when I was a senior in high school, I wouldn't have known if my friends were smoking pot? You would not have known if they were, no. No, and I wouldn't know what you their sex is. You would not have known. No, and I wouldn't have known what kind of sexual, uh, you know, uh, behavior they were engaging in. Not everybody. Are no. you kidding me? Didn't you go to high school? I did. I knew everything about all my friends. We talked about stuff. You, Nobody. You were friends with 100% no. of the kids look, in school? You, you 100% of the kids I'll in tell school you what. knew exactly what they were doing? I'll tell you what. I, I can go back and, and see if there are any statistics on this, and I don't know if there are. Mm -hmm. But it is categorically absolute. I knew that my parents drank. All their friends drank. All my friends' parents drank. Nobody smoked marijuana. Nobody smoked marijuana. It wasn't. Excuse me. Hello. Yeah. No. I'm not talking about the 20s. I'm not talking about the 20s. We had. I wasn't. No, I wasn't alive in the 20s. Drank in prohibition. Okay. Actually, 50 percent. During prohibition, there was 50 percent the level of alcohol consumption than the, as there was after prohibition That's was right. lifted. And what did it do? Okay. But but I'm not changing. I don't want to change the topic here. Talking about the 50s, marijuana, heroin. Now, did, did anybody use that stuff? Yes. There were people in inner city ghettos who used drugs. A small number of people in inner city. And, and, you know, I read books about it. And it was going on in inner city ghettos. But in the suburbs, no. Nobody. Okay? And I know when it changed. And do you think that I didn't know in, the, in, in 1967, when 66, 67, when my friends started smoking pot? You think I didn't know? Then I knew. Everybody started smoking pot. 
That's when it happened. 66, 67. That's when the that change that occurred. Just grew in just the 1960s. Grew. It just no, happened. No, well, that's when I, they found it. I have it. a theory. It's like to, some magical jungle. No, they just found this no, drug. No, no, no. That's when it no, happened. No, I have a theory about that too. Okay. But it's it's totally it, it it's uh, to, totally tangential to this. But my theory is that um, it had something to do with politics. And, and Robert F. Kennedy was the attorney general, general under President Kennedy, and he went after organized crime big time. John F. Kennedy was assassinated, and there's a, lot, there's a lot of evidence that links his assassination to organized crime. Bobby Kennedy's out within a year, less than a year. He's out as attorney general, and it was after that that all of a sudden college campuses and middle-class communities are flooded with drugs that you didn't see there before. So, but, you know, that, that's only a theory. I can't prove that, but it seems plausible to me. But in any case, so the, the point I'm trying to make now, th there, are other, there are other examples in other societies. You can look this up if you don't believe me. In China, in the 1940s, major epidemic of opium addiction, major epidemic, millions and millions of Chinese were addicted to opium. The Chinese communists came into power. Now, I don't like the commies. I probably dislike them more than you do. I don't like the commies. They're, they're totalitarians. They're a bunch of bastards, right? Mm -hmm. But they came into power, and they said, we're getting rid of this. Mm -hmm. What did they do? They said to the, to the opium addicts, you got two choices. You get clean or you get executed. Boom. End of the opium epidemic. We had a similar situation. Look this up, too. Vietnam. A lot of American soldiers got addicted to heroin in Vietnam. The U.S. government said, you want to come home? You get clean. They got clean. So it works. It works. If there are, consequ if there are consequences for, for using, then if there are serious consequences for using, people stop. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then rebel. Whatever. Will, without a doubt, that will happen. I'm okay with that. You're okay with rebellion. Yeah, I like rebellion. That makes no sense to me. What, you think I'm like a conformist? Okay, the next uh, next loose end here from the... Um, th this is also relates to a small debate that Stuart and I had. And I will give you credit, Stuart. You came very close to beating me in this debate. Okay. And, of course, that sticks in my craw, so I have to bring it back up. This comes to you from the demise of common sense department of the Jim Greenfield show. And the issue was raping your wife. And I, Jim Greenfield, took the old-fashioned traditional position that, and illegal. that there should be no such thing as spousal rape. Well, no, it's, it's unquestionably illegal. Yes. yes, I acknowledge that the laws were changed, I think, in the, like starting like the uh, 1980s, okay, to allow spousal rape. And um, so... Uh, you know, I'll, I'll warn you, I did a little re research on this. So I've got a question for you. How often, the, 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 you know, Stewart took the position that marital rape laws are good, and then if a man has sex with his wife, if a man without has sex consent. without her consent, that should be treated just as rape by a stranger, and he should go to jail. Yep. Now, here, I have, I have a question. I would argue it's worse than rape from a stranger. Okay. You must have had a really bad marriage. No, actually, no, not at all. I absolutely that was an ad hominem argument meant to be facetious. 
Yeah, I get it. But this this topic is actually kind of a serious one because what you're saying is you're trying the the words you're using right now, Jim. I need to really warn you on this. This is a hundred percent serious. When you're arguing for this, you are arguing for rape. Okay, and got it. Is a now, very serious statement. Got it. Now I've got a question for you. Do you have any view as to how common it is? For a happily married woman to accuse her husband of rape. And I mean, when I say accuse, I mean criminal prosecution. Call the police, criminal, bring criminal charges, and try to have them convicted and sent to prison. How common is that among happily married people? Probably zero. Zero. I think that's right. I think we can agree on that. So would you agree that... It's most likely to come up when there's some other issue. For example. Nope. Okay. Let me finish the sentence and then and then you can answer. Would you agree that it's most likely to come up, for example, in circumstances where there's a marriage splitting up? Uh, maybe they're still living together because this is only it only applies when they're still living together. If, if a husband and wife are not still living together and the husband rapes his estranged wife, that's treated as a, like, just like date rape. That's, that's a, a rape. If they're still living together, they're sharing a bed, they're sharing a bedroom, whatever. Um, would you agree that, that the issue is most likely to come up under circumstances where a, a divorce is pending? Oh, Whether the marriage is yes, falling 100%. apart, it's splitting up. You're exactly right. Because at that point, that's probably when she's not giving consent. Yeah, okay. Well, it's not just that. I mean, no, I would say it's 100% that. It's well, okay. 100% she's so, not giving consent. Right. No, she's not giving consent. Well, she says she's not giving consent. But here's the question. Do you think that it's... Let's just start with this. Is it possible that a woman might bring such a charge primarily to gain an advantage in a divorce case. I mean, you, you understand, well, you've been through divorce, you understand that in divorce cases there are basically two issues that come up, financial mm -hmm. and child custody and visitation. Mm -hmm. Now, would you, would you concede that if a woman brought a criminal charge against her husband, claiming that he raped her, that it might give her a slight advantage in the in the divorce proceedings mm -hmm. you you acknowledge yeah, that why is that dipshit still hanging around well that's a good what, question what's the, what's the what's the scenario where he gets into that situation well is rape he's, like, he, he's well he's raping. not he's not going to be hanging he's, around he's obviously he's, he's that's look what he's doing. look look i i think <laughs> i think we can agree that if a woman charges her husband with rape and he's arrested he's not going to be living with her Go uh -huh, after that, good. he'll either be in prison, right, or he'll be living somewhere else, which is what okay. he should be. Well, of course, of course. Okay, okay. So I, so but, 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 that, but that, that's we not my question. Agree that this is a piece of shit. Okay, that we're talking about but, human being that probably either needs to be in jail or needs to be away. No, no, I, I'm not agreeing to anything. But I, well, I, I am, can, can, because well, can I we get back to my? Would you mind answering my question now? Did you have one? Yeah, the question was: Would it give a a woman? And, and, of course, this never happens the other way. This could never be the man accusing his wife of raping him. That's not true. Well, look it up. 
It doesn't. How, it doesn't look it up. Reported as much. But as much? Know. How about none? How about you're right. Okay, none. I did. Look, I looked it up. Back and look. Okay, you now do, do do some more research, Jim. Don't just tell me no. You're trying to get off go the topic here. Go re- do some research on the amount of men that have been raped, and go be surprised by that number. Yeah, 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 yeah. You don't, yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, yeah. No, yeah, look, I'm not, exactly I'm not, I'm not getting, I'm not allowing myself to being distracted with it, with a tangent. That's not the topic. Sure. If you want to talk about, if you and your, you know, your effeminate buddies get raped sometimes, maybe, you know, we could talk about that. But um, no, no, I don't mean you. I didn't mean, I didn't mean to include you in that group. I, we, I know about your, about your uh, macho prowess. Uh, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to focus in on a question here, mm-hmm. on a real issue. Yeah, is it, it going to be a benefit to the person that's getting if, divorced? If the, wife, yes. if the wife accuses her husband of raping her uh-huh. and has him carted off to jail, right. and then their lawyers are negotiating yeah. the financial settlement, right. the custody and visitation issues with the children, do you think she might have, you know, just a slight lever there? Can, can I counter-argument this? Well, no, yeah, answer the question. Well, you can counter-argument. Yeah, I already did. But answer it. I already did. You agree that yes. she, she would? Yes. Okay. Also, I would make this argument. Uh, if a they're getting divorced, the woman takes a bat and beats the shit out of her husband and knocks him out. Do you think that that would have any sort of thing towards the divorce? Well, oh, maybe it would. Okay, but here's okay. A, there is a slight difference. No, there's zero difference. Did he? Can I can I explain to you why no, there is a slight are, difference? You're, you're I can't. Percent wrong. Okay. You're wrong on this. But you're you don't know what I was. Wrong side of the so what I was about to say is wrong. In your Everything view. you're going to say is no. wrong. You, are you know, on the wrong side of this. Two plus argument. two is four. It's wrong in uh, this. Two case plus two is four. You are backing up. Right. All right, Stuart, you have just met, taken the position that two plus two equals four is wrong. So you can't hear the eye roll. I just gave you an eye roll. I don't eye roll on anybody. Yeah, but they, they get into that eye your roll. You sucks. can't eye roll on radio. Now let me ask you a question. How frequently? When a man is accused of raping his wife, do you think that there is videotape of the incident? That's a ridiculous fucking argument. May, I, it's not an argument. It's you a question. Are, you are continuing the rape culture that we have in this country. It's disgusting, Jim. This is a disgusting Discussion. I, I, I love your retort, but will you answer the question? No, fuck it. I am done with this conversation. It's disgusting to you me. You won't answer the question. because no, it's a bullshit okay. question. So you're are you, you're when, losing this argument. So when you say... Also going to, you, you've got daughters, man. I hate to bring this up. Okay, so you're, you're, not, you're refusing to answer the question. And are this you, is a gross argument. Excuse me. You're, you're refusing to answer the question. Because it's a stupid fucking are question. You, and you're saying that you don't want to... You're not going to argue anymore. No, because you're wrong. Well, if you want to be silent... I'll go. I'll, I'll go and explain the I argument. Will also, quit the show. I'm not joking. This is a disgusting okay. argument. Okay, I'm you are go- arguing on the on behalf of men raping. How women. about how about you do this? How about you just take five minutes before you quit the show? You you don't talk. I'll explain the argument because I don't think you know what the argument is because you haven't heard it yet. You you know what what you said was that what I'm about to say is wrong, and and my. Theory is that you don't know what I'm about to say. I have this notion that you don't know what I'm about to say. So, you know, you can reserve judgment whether it's whether it's wrong. The the audience can reserve judgment about whether it's wrong. You just be quiet for a few minutes. If you don't, I, I'm not asking you to be quiet. That's what you said you want to do. So I'll explain where I'm going with this. Okay, I asked you how often it's videotaped. 
when a man is accused of raping his wife? You didn't answer. I think we can agree that anybody listening will agree that it approaches 0% of the time. It's extremely unlikely that there's ever a videotape of uh, a, an incident in which a man is accused of raping his wife. Second question I would have asked you was, how often is it that there's a third-party witness present? And I think, again, most people would agree that's going to be close to zero. So in other words, if you have a situation where a woman is accusing her husband of raping her, there's only two witnesses, the husband and the wife. So it's basically a he said, she said situation. Now, if we've, we've already reached an agreement that this is extremely unlikely to occur unless a marriage is falling apart and divorce is pending. So here we have a situation where a woman is accusing her husband of rape that gives her enormous, not a little bit, an enormous amount of leverage over him. She, with her testimony, can have him sent to prison for years, humiliated in front of his children, sent to prison, his life destroyed by an accusation of rape. And she stands to benefit by making the accusation. She's going to get enormous leverage in the, in the divorce settlement, in the financial settlement, in the division of assets, in the payment of child support, the payment of, of alimony and spousal support, and custody and visitation. So unless you're prepared to tell me that it's inconceivable that a woman would ever lie under certain cer such circumstances, then you have to recognize that this issue is only going to come up in a divorce case. That's the only reason it would come up. Now, I can tell you from personal experience, it's all based on what he said, she said. And I can tell you from personal experience that it doesn't matter what actually happened. It doesn't matter what happened. What matters is what she says happened. How do I know that? because I was sued for sexual harassment in 1994. And the woman made stuff up. It was bogus. She decided to bring the, this lawsuit against me after she saw she was working for me. She worked for me. And she happened to see my financial statement and realized that I had a significant net worth. A few weeks later, she sued me for sexual harassment. So I don't want anybody to tell me, oh, no, they don't make it up. Well, there have been several very prominent cases where they did make it up and where news media ran with the story, and then it turned out it was false, and people's reputations were ruined. So it, they do make it up. And in this case, you've got a woman with an enormous financial statement uh, in, incentive to make it up. Now I'm going to get to some facts. In most states, I looked this up. And in most states, marital rape is different. The definition of marital rape is different from the, from the definition of rape. Rape is, rape is uh, having sex with a person without their consent. Marital rape is, ha is sex where a couple is, A, living together, they have to be living together and, in, 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 uh, well, living together as a couple, 
and it requires, quote, force or violence. So just to go back to to the example that I gave when, when Stuart and I had this conversation before, I said to Stuart, well, what about if, if a, a couple, you know, married couple are sleeping and the man starts fooling around with his wife while she's sleeping and she allows him to proceed and he, you know, he goes forward. They're having, in the middle of having sex and in the middle she wakes up and says, honey, you know, I'm really, I really don't want to do this. And, and he finishes. Well, guess what? I hate to disappoint my worthy adversary here, but that's not marital rape. That's not illegal. It's not a crime because there's no force or violence involved. And uh, I got that information by looking up online. And each state has different statutes, but most of them are fairly similar, and and that's the general thrust of it. Okay. So now, Stuart, having heard all this, are you ready to walk off the show and never to return? Okay. Otherwise, I... uh, I wanted to move on. Maybe, maybe we should take a, a, uh, a quick break. This is Jim Greenfield fighting for the principles which have made me great here on the Jim Greenfield Show. But you don't really care for music, do you? It goes like this. The fourth, the fifth, the minor fall, the major lift. The baffled king composing Hallelujah 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 This is the Talk Radio Terminator, Jim Greenfield host of the Jim Greenfield Show podcast with my producer and good friend Stuart Rice, who decided not to quit, despite the fact that he thinks I'm a douchebag. I, I talked him out of quitting. He was ready to walk. I said, Stuart, you know, come on. You know, I know we have our differences, but, you know, I'll get you babes. And uh, so he decided to stay. Now, he didn't no, believe me. Stuart doesn't need me to get him babes. Maybe the other way around. Mm, I don't know. Nah, yeah. I, I think you'll do just no, He wouldn't around. do it. Now he wouldn't do it because he thinks, like, I would rape them or something. Besides, my wife wouldn't approve. I don't know. Maybe she wouldn't care. Okay, the next segment of the Jim Greenfield Show comes to you from the Profiles and Courage Department, the Division of Gutless Wonders. There was an article in the Wall Street Journal called GOP Governors Resist on the Health Bill. Now, you know, let me just say, to put it in context, I, I have mixed feelings about this Republican health bill. It's certainly not a free market. It's better than Obamacare, so I guess it's an improvement on the status quo. I guess it'd be better to re- at least get rid of some of the worst aspects of Obamacare. We- absolutely have to get rid of this individual mandate. That is one of the most intrusive and oppressive government policies in American history, forcing people to buy this insurance they don't want. And, you know, getting rid of the employer mandate, similarly, which is also extremely bad for the economy because it, it gives employers incentives not to hire people under Obamacare because 
at certain thresholds, if you hire people and give them full-time jobs, the government starts telling you what you have to do. So a lot of employers try to avoid that by just not either not hiring 50 people or more or not hiring people full-time because you don't have to provide it for, for part-times. The point is uh, this article in the Wall Street Journal, GOP governors resist on health bill. Republican senators back home on recess this week are hearing from some influential critics of, the, of their health law effort. GOP governors are urging them. So the governors, the, GOP, the, the Republican governors are urging Republican senators to push back on the legislation because it would cut Medicaid funding. These are Republicans. You know how you always hear Republicans equated with conservatives? These are Republicans who are opposing cutting a government welfare entitlement uh, program that expanded under the Obama administration. I think I don't have the exact number, but I think they added like 20 million people to the Medicaid rolls, many of them able-bodied adults without children, put on Medicaid, given uh, me- medical care at taxpayer expense. These aren't Democrats who don't want to cut Medicaid. It's Republicans, Republican governors of states including Ohio, Nevada, and Arkansas, which stand to lose billions of dollars in Medicaid funding. Look, these people went, they took the bait because Obamacare set it up and said, hey, we'll give you states billions of dollars more in Medicaid money for your citizens. And some Republican governors said, no, we won't take it because we know once you take it, you can't get rid of it. So they said no. But a lot of these Republican governors caved to the pressure and they took it. They took the money. So now they're stuck with it. So they don't want to lose it. So most vocal, it says, are governors of states that expanded their Medicaid eligibility under the Affordable Care Act. That's Obamacare. The bill would phase out, that's the Republican, the new Republican bill would phase out that expansion of Medicaid. The bill would cut $772 billion in funding for the program over a decade. So that's real money. John Kasich, remember John Kasich? Mm -hmm. Next to Donald Trump, he was my... He, he was my second to late least favorite Republican candidate for president. I thought he was a douchebag. John Kasich of, of Ohio has said the bill's opioid addiction measures don't go far enough. The, the Republican bill wants to add another $45 billion in spending for treating opioid addiction. You know, the federal government is so good at treating opioid addiction, that we have to have the federal government do that at a cost of $45 billion. And I'm sure all of you listening have complete confidence and faith that the federal government would do a wonderful job of doing that, probably almost as good a job as they do with the Veterans Administration. Now, by the way, by the way, a little bit of a tangent, but while since I brought the topic up, have you noticed that Republican Cong- members of Congress and, of course, our Republican president, are always talking about how we have to make the Veterans Administration do a better job of serving our veterans. And everybody applauds. Yes, of course, our veterans, they they served our country. They sacrificed for us. And the ones who got injured, we obviously, Veterans Administration, so you get, this is the conservatives who support the Veterans Administration. What is the Veterans Administration? It's pure socialism. 
It is a pure socialist medical system. It's single-payer medical care for veterans. That's socialism. How does it work? It sucks. And the Republicans are the ones that say, we have to reform it. We have to improve the Veterans Administration. No. As my high school football coach once said, you can't polish shit. He was talking about one of the guys on the team. <laughs> the, the point is that it, the Veterans Administration doesn't work. It's socialism. If you want to see what our, our single-payer system is going to look like when the Democrats succeed in getting single-payer through, Look at the Veterans Administration. That's your health care uh, system in the future. That's where you're going to get your health care. They won't call it the Veterans Administration, but it'll be the same thing. The, the bill would, this is Republican. The Republican bill is providing $45 billion in, in care for the treatment of opioid addiction. So the Republicans are spending a lot of money. Now, there's some good things in the bill, too. That's not one of them. But it, it would... You know, especially if the, if the cruise amendment could say, get rid of these uh, mandated that you don't, the government wouldn't be telling insurance companies what kind of policies they have to sell. And we would stop the individual mandates. They're afraid, the, the Republicans, the quote unquote moderate Republicans, are afraid to get rid of some of the Obamacare taxes because the Obama, Obamacare created surtar, surcharge taxes on well to do people. It's anybody with an income over 200000 which ain't super rich, okay? I mean, 200000 is a good income. Yeah, you can live pretty well on that, but those aren't the super rich. Those aren't the billionaires. And, and it created a surtax on anybody earning income over 200000 And the Republicans had pledged during the elections, we're getting rid of Obamacare, we're getting rid of the Obamacare taxes. And now that they have power, they ain't doing it. They're keeping those taxes. Why? Because the Democrats say, if you try to get rid of those taxes, the Democrats say, oh, the Republicans are cutting taxes for the rich. They're cutting taxes on the rich so that they don't have to help the poor with Medicaid. They're going to cut Medicaid funding for the poor, and they're going to give more money to the rich. That's what the Democrats say. Now, another slight tangent. This has always been what I would call one of my pet peeves, if it weren't for the fact that I don't like the expression pet peeves. It's one of the things I always hated. I'm sure most of you won't recall this, but back in the early 2000s, when President George W. Bush was pushing his tax cuts through, do you remember what you kept hearing from the Democrat media complex over and over and over again, they kept saying, the Bush tax cuts for the rich. Bush tax cuts for the rich. 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 And I heard this hundreds, literally, because, of course, I'm a, I'm a political junkie. I watch this hundreds and hundreds of times, literally. And when I use the word literally, I use it the way it actually is intended to be meant, which means that that's how many times I heard it. Tax cuts for the rich. I heard this over a period of years, repeated over and over again. The Bush tax cuts were primarily benefiting middle-class working people. Now, did the rich get tax cuts? Yes. But the Bush tax cuts cut the top marginal rate for wealthy people from 39% down to 35%, which is a small decrease in their taxes. And for middle-class people, 
They cut the rate from 25% down to 15%, or for some people, down to 10%. That was a huge tax cut for the middle class, a very small tax cut for the rich, and they kept calling it tax cuts for the rich. And not only that, but the Republicans and the conservative punditry, they let them get away with it. I never heard a single person on TV or radio say, hey, they aren't really for the rich. I said it because I studied it and I saw what it was. But they didn't argue back. They just took it. They just took the punches. And now they're back again. Tax cuts for the rich. Tax cuts for the rich. Tax cuts for the rich. Let me explain something to you. The Democrats believe that all tax cuts for the rich are for the rich. Why? Because the Democrats believe that anybody who pays taxes is ipso facto rich. That's Latin for by, the, by that fact alone. See, poor people don't pay taxes. You know, if you're making 20000 a year, you don't pay an income tax. If you're on welfare, you're not paying any payroll taxes, nothing. You, you know, when you buy stuff, you might have to pay a, a state sales tax, but you're not paying any federal taxes. So taxes are paid mostly by middle class people. Rich people have ways to, you know, not entirely, but to some degree, avoid them. Middle class people pay most of the taxes. But the Democrats apparently believe that if you're making $50,000 a year, you're rich. And they don't want to cut your taxes because that's tax cuts for the rich. Okay, so like I say, that was a bit of a digression. But the, the, the main point I was supposedly trying to make before I distracted myself to that distraction rant was that the, the Republican Party, this is why I say it comes from the division of gutless wonders, these Republican senators going back home, they're hearing from their governors, oh, don't pass this new health bill. Don't pass it because it's going to cut our Medicaid. And then they're afraid, oh, the Democrats are going to say we're cutting taxes for the rich. We can't have them say that about this. That's so mean. We don't want them saying these mean things about us. And these people are incapable of articulating an argument as why you need to cut those taxes, which is to get that money back into investment. That's investment. By the way, those are investment taxes. It's capital gains taxes, basically. It's, ta it's, it's money that otherwise is going into investments. That's how you stimulate the economy. It's investing in companies that hire people and give people jobs and create new products. That's how economies grow, not by government bureaucracy and government taking the money and spending it and wasting it. So they, the, But these Republicans are, quote-unquote, moderates, are incapable of articulating that concept. So they're so scared that the Democrats and the media are going to accuse them of cutting taxes for the rich. And then they're scared of cutting Medicare, hundreds of billions of dollars of government spending on this entitlement program. They're scared of that. So they, the moderates, plus one conservative, Rand Paul, who's a special case, I won't even get into that, they're threatening to kill this repeal of Obamacare, an albeit imperfect repeal, but it's at least a step in the right direction to dismantle that abomination, that monstrosity of Obamacare. 
So I'm looking at this, and I'm seeing the Republican Party is... I think the Republican Party should put itself out of its misery. The Republican Party, it's time for, for it to kill itself. I'm a registered Republican, but I'm not excited about it. You know, at least the Democrats stand for something. The Democrats have beliefs and values, albeit twisted and perverted ones. But at least they, they know what they believe in. These Republican moderates believe in nothing. They believe in nothing. Their only principle is their own reelection. This is pathetic. It's very common among politicians. Some of them, some politicians go into office thinking that they really are committed to ideals and they want to make things better. And they really, and then after they've been there a while, they get corrupted by the system and all they care about is getting reelected. You know, I ran for Congress a couple of times. I knew I wasn't going to win, but at least I had this idea in the back of my mind. You know what? If I win, if I actually win election to Congress, I don't give a shit if I get reelected. I'm going to go there. I'm going to say what I think. And if I don't get reelected, so what? i got so many other things I can do with my life. But these people are so limited. There's some limit. They can't imagine what their lives, they're so pathetic. They can't imagine what their lives would be like if they were no longer very important people, congressmen and senators. So if the, if, the, if the media democratic complex succeeds, you know, I already talked about this. If, if they succeed in blaming the Republicans for the collapse of Obamacare, that's just going to be an astonishing t- tribute to how clever and devious and uh, pernicious, maybe that's not the right use of that word, these people are. It's politi- political jujitsu. For them to get for the, for the Republicans get the blame for when not a single Republican voted for Obamacare. Anyway, I think this is a good way to end this exciting edition of the Jim Greenfield Show. This is Jim Greenfield not having more fun than a human being should be allowed to have. I don't take illegal drugs. I, I think I need to explain that one. I don't know if he still says it. Rush Limbaugh used to say, "This is Rush Limbaugh." Having more fun than a human being should be allowed to have. And then he got caught with the, uh, he was addicted to uh, Oxycontin or some damn thing. So this is not. That's why the Republicans need to keep, that's why they have the uh, opiates in the bill. It's because of Rush. Oh, it's the Rush Limbaugh bill. Yeah, but Rush doesn't need the government to pay for his, uh, for for his rehabilitation, his therapy. No. He paid for it himself. As I mentioned previously, he and I both got fired seven times, and he now makes $32 million a year. But anyway, so this is Jim Greenfield not having more fun than a human being should be allowed to have. I don't take illegal drugs. <clears throat> I don't even take the ones that are now legal. And uh, we will be back with the, night, with the next exciting edition of the Jim Greenfield Show when we come back with the next exciting edition of the Jim Greenfield Show. I think we need to edit this. Jim wouldn't let me thank you for listening to the Jim Greenfield Show. He said the listeners should thank him for such a brilliant show, and he isn't thanking anyone. Jim also said I couldn't say, I hope you weren't offended. He says he doesn't give a shit if you were offended, and if you were, that's your problem. However, if you were offended, and I usually am, or disagree with Jim, which I tend to do every week, or have anything you'd like to say, 
You can email Jim, and Jim may read your email on the air or invite you on the show to air your grievance or, I don't know, whatever. You can email Jim at jimgreenfieldshowpodcast at gmail.com. This is Stuart Rice, a.k.a. Stuart White, or whatever Jim is going to call me this week, the overworked and underappreciated producer of The Jim Greenfield Show, starring Jim Greenfield. All recordings are copyright 2017, Jim Greenfield.